We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, June the 11th, 2020. On today's show, we continue along with the 2020 opponent preview series today. We're talking the LSU Tigers. I'll break down LSU in their entirety, including their head coach, how they did a season ago, their best returning players on offense and defense, give my overall outlook for LSU's 2020 season, as well as their game against the Gamecocks. Much, much more there as well. Also, your news and notes to get into, your listener questions. And we have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks baseball player, Madison Stokes, that I know that you are sure to enjoy. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast sent to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use, and the only ticket buying app I recommend. Go download the SeatGeek app app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Guys, slowly but surely, sports are coming back. We've got golf coming this week. I think baseball might actually happen. College football in the works right now to get going. Sports are coming back, which means fans are going to be in the seats, and you're going to want to get your tickets. You're going to want to go through SeatGeek. SeatGeek is changing the way we all buy tickets. They have a great ticket rating system, which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. Guys, so never again, you have to scalp. You have to worry about, am I overpaying? What is the person next to me paying? You're going to know exactly what you're sitting. You're going to get the best bang for your buck. SeatGeek's really going to take care of you. And like I said, they are absolutely changing the game when it comes to ticket buying. So, again, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. Let's get it. Chris Phillips, Joe, the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a packed show. Happy Thursday, everyone. Hope everybody's having a fantastic day. Hope you're staying safe, staying healthy. Hope you're having a fantastic day as well. Very, very excited to get rolling into the show. Before we do, a couple housekeeping items really quickly. As always, if you have not done so, click the pause button right now. If you haven't given the show five stars, if you haven't given a review, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever it may be, take the time, take five seconds out of your day, Hit the five stars, leave a review. If you have any thoughts, feedback, things you like, things you don't like, things you want to let me know, it's a great place to do that. And like I said, when you leave five stars, when you give it a review, it helps other people find the show that are maybe unfamiliar with the Spurs Up show. So please take five seconds out of your day. And for those that have already done so, I truly do appreciate it. Also, if you are listening and you're not subscribed, make sure you hammer that subscribe button. Again, 
doesn't matter whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, if you're on YouTube, whatever it may be, if you're not following us on social media, be sure to do that as well. But hammer that subscribe button. You're going to get the daily notifications for the daily podcast. You're going to get the notifications when those podcasts drop. So please be sure to rate and subscribe. And for those that have already done so, thank you so much. Also, you may have noticed no show Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, for, the for, for the foreseeable future, I'm going back to Monday, Thursday shows. There'll be big shows with guest interviews and then obviously content with the rest of the show, but not doing the daily show for at least the next little bit. Again, we're in the middle of the summer. We're kind of the dead period. You know, honestly, I was just thinking to myself, you know, as much as I, as much as I like doing the daily shows, it felt like a little bit of overkill, um, really, to be honest with you guys. So going back to just two shows per week, Monday, Thursday, will drop every single week. We just want to let you guys know that. Um, they're going to be great podcasts. Like I said, I'm going to have the normal show and then we're going to have the guest interviews going back, making sure we are having a guest interview for every single podcast, really hammering that down, going back to that. Got a great interview for the show today as well. We just wanted to let you guys know Monday, Thursday, every single week is what you can expect. I would say for at least the next month or so until things really start to pick back up and we get closer and closer to football season. Um, cause you know, things will get back to normal at some point, but right now, just not quite as much to talk about, um, and it just makes more sense to go to just two shows a week. So Monday, Thursday is when we will be dropping the podcast. Um, that's when we're doing it, Monday, Thursday. So, all right, let's dive right into it. The 2020 Opponent Preview Series continues on. Today we are talking about the LSU Tigers, South Carolina, taking on LSU Saturday, November the 14th. In Baton Rouge, Tiger Stadium, a.k.a. Death Valley in Baton Rouge, one of the toughest places in the entire country to play. You take a look at the all-time series record. LSU leads it 18-2-1. The Gamecocks have not had a lot of success against LSU. The last meeting, 2015, LSU won 45-24 with Steve Spurrier's last game. And if you guys remember, that was the game that was moved to Baton Rouge. It was supposed to be in Columbia, moved to Baton Rouge due to the – the, uh, the hurricane and the storms and stuff and the flooding and stuff like that. So, moved to Baton Rouge. But Spurrier's last game, LSU got the better of South Carolina. I think that's when they had Leonard Fournette. They ran all over the Gamecocks. 45-24 to 24 in that one. I think the last time South Carolina beat LSU, I believe, was 1994. So, it's been a very long time. And it was actually in Baton Rouge, by the way. But it's been a very, very, very long time since South Carolina has beaten the Tigers. Um, 2019, we all know what LSU did. 15-0, 8-0 in the SEC. Arguably the best college football team ever. Uh, winning the national championship, beating Clemson, which was fantastic. I know we all loved that. But um, really just a historic season for LSU last season. Again, 15-0, 8-0 in the SEC. They ran through everybody last year. I mean, they were – they were a team on a mission. Joe Burrow wins the Heisman. I mean, it just everyone. That team – I think they had 14 guys go to the NFL draft, which is just a crazy number. All of their starters got drafted. Um, I mean, they had guys that were award winners that went undrafted. That's how good they were. So, you know, just crazy. What, what a year they had. Ed Orgeron, Ed Orgeron, what can you say about Ed Orgeron? Coming into his fourth season um, as LSU head coach, 40-9 and nine record at LSU. And it's funny, this is a guy that a few years ago people were talking about him being on the hot seat and possibly getting fired. Now it's like Ed Orgeron is the hottest coach in college football. He's going on all these, you know, all these different podcasts and shows and stuff, and everybody loves him. He's this lovable character now. It's so crazy how that script can flip. But Ed Orgeron, their head coach, obviously a guy that, again, 
everybody's familiar with it. Everybody knows about someone who's really flipped the script and turned the tables as far as the way I think college football fans see him as a head coach. Because, again, like I said, I think just a few years ago people were saying that, you know, I, I, I think I was one of them. I, I really didn't know and wasn't sure and didn't really think he was a big-time head coach. And turns out he was. So, <laughs> no questions asked. Uh, again, we talked about their 2019 just a little bit. We go back, take a look at the schedule. And just going through here again, 15-0, 8-0 in the SEC. They start off the season beating Georgia Southern, won a big game at Texas in week two, 45-38. Um, but again, just ran through everybody. Northwestern State at Vanderbilt, Utah State beat Florida 42-28 at Mississippi State, won a big one. Beat Auburn 23-20, to really, really close game in Baton Rouge on October the 26th. Won at Alabama in a classic 46-41. to I think that was that was really the point for LSU last year where you're like, okay, this this might not be just another season because when, they, when they're able to beat Alabama, that was kind of the, the monkey on their back, if you will. LSU could just never beat Alabama. You're able to take them out, though, again, 46-41 to the final. In Tuscaloosa, too. That's when you kind of knew, okay, this this might be a special season for them. Uh, one at Ole Miss, beat Arkansas, beat Texas A&M, beat Georgia and the SEC title, and then, and then in the college ball playoff, who can forget the game against Oklahoma where they jump out to an insane, I think it was like, what, like 49 and nothing? Some crazy, it was at 49 nothing at like halftime, I think, or something like that. But they beat Oklahoma 63-28 to and then beat Clemson in the national championship 42 42- to 25. So again, a, a crazy historic season where they just ran through everybody. I mean, they took out everyone. And you look at their schedule and how many good teams, how many ranked teams they played last year. I mean, I think it's very fair to say it's the best college football season ever to ever be fielded. So Crazy year for LSU. The question now is, how do they follow that up? Uh, let's talk about the best ranked players on offense and defense for LSU. Again, LSU losing a ton, but there's still talent coming back. The best returning player on offense, especially wide receiver Jamar Chase, the junior. He was the Blitnikoff winner in 2019, which goes to the top wide receiver. Listen to these numbers, though. Listen to these numbers. 84 catches, 1,780 yards, and 20 touchdowns for Jamar Chase. Unbelievable. Six foot one, 200. He averaged over 21 yards per catch. Um, you know, obviously, you're going to have to replace your quarterback, Joe Burrow, and it looks like that Miles Brennan, the junior, is going to be the guy. This is going to be his go to dude. There's absolutely no question. Um, you know, what he did last year, I thought this was a crazy stat. He caught two touchdown passes or more in six of the last 12 games. Against Clemson, he had nine catches for 221 yards and two touchdowns. Unbelievable. I mean, this is a big-time wide receiver, a big-time first-round guy, probably top-ten picks guy. Jamar Chase is the featured dude on this LSU offense. When you take a look at their defense – Defensive back Derek Stingley Jr., the sophomore, is the guy that really stands out. He was an All-American as a true freshman. Six interceptions. Six as a true freshman. He's gonna be, He's the guy that's going to be their leader. They do have a strong secondary. I think, again, LSU lost a lot of guys everywhere. There, there's no area you look and say, hey, they have a lot of experience coming back here. They do have a really good safety. And Jacoby Stevens, the senior, he was the second guy that I thought or he was my number two guy as far as my best returning player on defense for LSU. But defensive back Derek Stingley Jr., 
Um, He's a big-time player. I don't think teams are going to throw to his side of the field a lot because, again, six picks a year ago lets you know, hey, this guy's a big-time playmaker, but he, he, he is, he's the real deal. This dude is the real deal, no questions asked. So, Derek Stingley Jr., definitely the guy to watch on LSU's defense. When we take a look at the overall outlook for LSU, let's start with the 2020 schedule. Just run down the list here. They have UTSA. They open up with them. Home game against Texas, which should be interesting. At Rice, then Ole Miss Nichols at Florida, October 10th, which will be a big-time game. Uh, at Arkansas, then Mississippi State, Alabama at home, November the 7th. Then they have South Carolina at home on the 14th, at Auburn, and then at Texas A&M. The big question, obviously, for LSU this year, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind they, they're going to have talent. But when you lose as much as they did, when you lose – I mean, there's only so much you can do. You know, when you lose as much as LSU did, what can they possibly do for an encore? You just can't have the season you had last year. There's just no way you can. I take a look at that schedule, and I still see LSU being a contender for the SEC West title. No questions asked. I mean, I think this is a – looking at the schedule, the two toughest games for sure at Florida – and Alabama at home. I think at Auburn, too, is going to be a tough one. But I think this is probably a 9-3 team at worst, probably a 10-2 team. And they're going to be battling right there, I think, until late in the season. I bet that game – I would bet you that game at Auburn is going to probably determine the West for LSU. But, again, the storyline for the Tigers is just what can they possibly do, you know, for an encore? I mean, you know, we're talking about – a season, a real season of change for them. You lose Joe Burrow, your Heisman Trophy winner. You lose Joe Brady to the Panthers, your offensive coordinator. You lose Dave Aranda, your D coordinator. You lose ton, a ton of other bunch of starters, um, a bunch of other starters. So how can LSU reload? Because, again, they have plenty of talent. There's no questions asked. They have plenty of talent. But – there is no college football team on this planet Earth that I think can survive the the loss of the amount the amount of loss they they are going to have to endure coming up in this season. Again, I know a big question for them, Miles Brennan. What type of season does he have? And again, you almost I almost kind of feel for Miles Brennan because he could have a fantastic year, but Joe Burrow had such an amazing, unbelievable year last year that Miles Brennan could have a solid season and people are going to look at him as a failure because of the expectations and because of what Joe Burrow did in Baton Rouge. So I think this is an LSU team, again, very talented. I think the schedule actually sets up fairly nice for them. Um, if you can get past Texas at home, which I think you should be able to, you know, you're looking at a team that should start 5-0, and no question. Then you have that game at Florida. That'll be the big test early on. But, I mean, the potential, the opportunity to be 8-0 going into the Alabama game at home very much is, is, is very much so there. And then you could see them again being top five and be number one in the country. You never know. Um, so, that potential is definitely there. Again, like I said, you, gotta, you do have – they have a lot of returning talent. LSU's recruited as good as anybody in the country. But it's just how can you replace all of that? Again, especially starting at the quarterback position – they lose a ton defensively. You have just eight returning starters between your offense and defense. So they're going to have a lot of question marks in regards to who steps up, who fills in those roles, and just what type of production do you get from a bunch of these new guys. As far as the game with South Carolina and how this game fits in with the Gamecocks and just the overall outlook of that game, again, 
I talked about the Georgia game really beginning a November gauntlet for South Carolina. This one's no different, having to go to Baton Rouge especially. You have to pray as a Gamecock fan that hopefully this is a day game. I mean, this is this is the one time I'd love for a noon kickoff um, just because LSU, it's already such a tough place to win. Um, and if you have to play the Tigers at home, you know, your odds of winning go down significantly. I mean, the the, the slim odds you already have – go down significantly. I will say this, though. I think this could be – I think this could be the sneaky spot for South Carolina to pull a major upset. Listen, LSU's still going to be good. They still have a ton of talent. But they have a lot of questions. And this game falls in a really interesting spot in the schedule uh, for LSU. You know, LSU late in their season, they're going to be focused on trying to compete in the West. They've got Bama at home. And then they got South Carolina, and then they go to Auburn. So this game's sandwiched in between the Alabama and the Auburn games. Could the Gamecocks possibly catch LSU napping a little bit? Sort of how they caught Georgia last year. Um, I certainly think it's going to be a tough game. South Carolina's not going to be as talented as LSU, no question. But I don't know. I think this is one, because of all the losses, because of all the question marks that LSU has, this one is really, really intriguing and could provide South Carolina with the opportunity to pull a major upset. It really could. Um, it really, really could. So I, I'll be interested to see in this one again. You know, you, you have multiple opportunities in the month of November to, to pull a major upset. I talked about you can't go worse than one in three. That, that's the minimum. You've got to beat Wofford. And you've got to be able to hang – you know, that's going to be the other big thing. I mean, this, we all know this is a make-or-break year for Will Muschamp, and a lot of it is going to come down to, especially if you go 6-6, six and six, how do you hang in a game like this? Can you hang in a game like this? Can you make this a close, competitive game? We all understand LSU's talent level. We all understand what they did last year, but they do lose a lot, and this is going to be a team, just depending on how things go, how things fall, how guys fill into different roles, this could be a team that is beatable. You never know. So can South Carolina – give LSU a scare on their home field. Um, will be a major opportunity. I expect this to probably be a nationally televised game. Um, and, again, it's not going to be a game South Carolina by any stretch, any, you know, by any means is going to be favored. But this, to me, feels like the – almost like the sexy pick for South Carolina as far as, you know, if you could think of one big upset in the 2020 season, which one would it be? The road trip to Baton Rouge, for some reason to me, feels like a great opportunity to sort of, to sort of like I said, <clears throat> maybe catch the Tigers napping, you know, maybe catch them off guard and do something similar to what you did last year in Athens and go into Baton Rouge and pull off a major upset. So we'll see. It should be really, really interesting. But again, just another tough game on the road, too, but another tough game in that November gauntlet for the Gamecocks. Um, so, again, that is the LSU Tigers. Should be a fantastic game. Not often do South, the South Carolina and their fans get to road trip to Baton Rouge. That is definitely one I'm looking forward to as one. I know other Gamecock fans are as well. Um, all right, let's get into some news and notes really, really quickly. Uh, do have some news and notes to get into, starting with recruiting. Gamecocks picking up a commitment. South Carolina football getting a commit from 2021 three-star running back Caleb McDowell. The Gamecocks going into the state of Georgia to get this kid, a kid out of Leesville. I think he's from the same uh, same area, or maybe it's the same school even, as, uh, as Jamie Robinson. So, you know, what will he do? I think the running back position is pretty much set for Carolina at this point for the next few years, you know, with Marshawn Lloyd, with Kevin Harris, but you always want to get 
you know, elite talent in your program. And I think Caleb McDowell could be that guy. Kind of undersized right now. He's only 170, but a young dude, a young cat that can develop is a guy that I think has a high ceiling, but he's going to have to be developed once he gets on campus. Um, another big thing coming out of news on Wednesday afternoon, the 2020 SEC Media Days will be mobile. It will be mobile will not be in person I know you know I know some of you are saying Chris who gives a damn it's just SEC media days I'm someone that loves SEC media days personally I uh I love it I I love it It, it's it's the unofficial kickoff for SEC football season for me it just is I I love it I've always loved SEC media days and I think a lot of it probably has to do with I kind of I don't know I sort of envisioned and saw myself you know, doing that one day, that was always kind of a dream to be able to go to Hoover and, um, you know, to be able to go to Hoover and cover that and, you know, talk with all the personalities and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, they're going to be mobile. So it'll be interesting. They haven't released the schedule for when coaches will speak or stuff like that. And, you know, hopefully we're still able to tune into it. Like I said, it's, it's, you know, it sucks. I I get it with the, the, the pandemic stuff. You know, I, I thought, I really honestly am a little surprised though because I thought that with the way things are moving, it seems like things are opening back up and, and the numbers are going down and stuff like that. You know, I, I really thought that maybe, you know, we were going to be able to have that, but obviously not. So 2020 SEC Media Days will be mobile. They're going to be done via Zoom call, which is what it feels like everything else is done by these days. But, uh, but yeah, so we'll see kind of how that goes. There'll be more announcements, see how that unfolds. But yeah, definitely interesting for sure. The SEC Media Days will be mobile in July. Um, last thing really quickly, Carmen Majinski, I'm actually recording this during the MLB draft on Wednesday night. So Carmen Majinski has not been picked yet. If he does go in the first round, obviously I will have some sort of write-up, some sort of commentary on social media. But as of right now, we are 15 picks in in the MLB draft, and Carmen Majinski has not been picked. Definitely not a guarantee he's going to be a first rounder or anything. But I, I thought he was. I think I thought he's going to be a first rounder. Um, a guy that you know, if you, you've looked at different mock drafts, certainly a guy that a lot of people have had listed as a first rounder. So we'll see what happens. And like I said, I will keep you guys up to date with my commentary and my thoughts on it. But Carmen, no doubt, is a guy that's gone. He's not coming back next year. Um, but yeah, so just to let you guys know, when I'm recording during the MLB draft. He has not been picked yet, so I will update accordingly to when he does get picked. Um, all right, let's get into your listener questions, just a few, and then we got our interview to get into. Um, USC underscore fan underscore LC, do you think it will be a blowout talking about the South Carolina LSU game? You know, unfortunately, I think it has the potential to be. Um, I think LSU is a much more talented team than South Carolina, but like I said, I also think it provides the opportunity for South Carolina to go in and pull the upset. I, I really do. For some reason – Ever since I saw that game on the schedule and you knew what LSU was losing, um, you know, and, and it's all, you know, also going to factor in is what what type of season is South going to have at that point? I mean, we're talking about being, you know, this this being the the 10th game of the 2020 season. We're going to know what kind of year it's been for the Gamecocks. I mean, there's just no question. You know what I mean? It, it's you're either having a really good year or a really bad year. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of middle ground there. So, um, it could be, it could be no question because I think again, top to bottom LSU, no doubt is more, is more talented than South Carolina. It's not even a debate, debate at that point. It's not even debatable, but, uh, I don't know. I, I just have this feeling. I think South Carolina could catch LSU off guard. I do. I think it could be a situation like last year 
in Athens where you, you kind of catch the dogs napping a little bit. So we'll see. Um, S. Rush seven. Why do Clemson fans act like we've never beat them and smug about everything in life? They're just the worst. That's all I can say. They're just the worst. Uh, CP3 underscore presents underscore. Gamecocks pull off an overtime miracle. Gamecocks clinch the SEC. Everybody is celebrating in Cola. If that happens, my friend, you will not be able to keep Gamecock fans off of Bourbon Street. You probably won't be able to keep Gamecock fans off Bourbon Street either way. But I love your thinking. I, I, I speak into existence. From your lips to God's ears, my friend. From your lips to God's ears. Um, last question. B. Welch underscore three. If we beat LSU in 2012, we beat Florida following week and go on to win the SEC and national title. No doubt you win the SEC. No doubt you win the SEC East. There's a good chance you win the SEC. Yeah, I mean, you think of that that slate you had, that three-game stretch with Georgia at LSU at Florida. I mean, as, as tough as they come. Um, that 2012 one was a close one, man. No question. That, that was one that, you know, you look back and it's like, man, if that just could have, if that just could have went South Carolina's way, you know, you are right. Who knows what happens? But, uh, you know, unfortunately the, the ball didn't bounce the Gamecocks way. There's really nothing else you can do about it. Nothing else you can say just did not bounce their way. So unfortunate, but all right. Appreciate the listener questions. Have a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks infielder, Madison Stokes. We talked about a little bit of everything. Obviously, you know, him being a local kid, talking about growing up, um, where he wanted to play college baseball, being recruited by South Carolina. This is a guy that played for both Chad Holbrook and Mark Kingston, had a fantastic senior year, played in two Super Regionals, is currently playing in the minor leagues. So we talk about all that and more, guys. So sit back, relax, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks baseball player Madison Stokes. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2015 to 2018. During his career, he hit 271 with 15 home runs, 82 RBIs, and also had a 961 fielding percentage for the Gamecocks. In 2018, he was taken in the 10th round of the MLB draft by the Philadelphia Phillies and is currently in the Phillies organization. I'm very pleased to be joined by former Gamecocks baseball player Madison Stokes. Madison, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Yeah, man. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Absolutely. So, Madison, I want to start from the beginning for you, because obviously you're a local kid, a really highly touted local product. You were actually taken in the 2014 MLB draft, your senior year of high school, the 40th round by the New York Yankees. But you went to AC Flora. Again, you were a guy that everybody was really familiar with when you got on campus. Just talk about your recruitment. I know you recruited, obviously, by Chad Holbrook and his staff and those guys that were there at that time. But you being local, again, you're in high school when South Carolina's having their run in the early 2010s and 2011, 2012, stuff like that. What was the recruiting process like for you? Was there ever any question that once you got that offer that you were going to be a Gamecock? Uh, so I was committed to the Citadel my sophomore year. Uh, that's where my brother went. I wanted to go play there and play another year with him. Mm. And then I decommitted my junior year, I believe, and just wanted to – open up some more opportunities, see what else is out there. And then Carolina jumped on me, I think, my the summer going into my senior year. And um, a little bit of North Carolina and then a little bit of Clemson. And I visited UNC and South Carolina. Um, it was pretty neck and neck until I actually went, sat down with Coach Holbrook. I uh, was watching them scrimmage and all, and we had a good chat. And that really just kind of turned me on there, um, to be honest with you, just seeing those guys and how they were just, you know, how they played together and just um, 
seen the whole facility and all. You know, everybody knows how nice it is. So mm. um, once I – like I knew about South Carolina, but once I got in there and was able to, you know, make some connections and build some relationships with the coaching staff, then, you know, that kind of set me off at first. So I, that was, I was really when it started. I, I was going to say you were really successful yourself in high school, not just yourself individually, but you played on three state championship teams. I think people forget that. You guys – AC Flora, three-time, 12, 13, and 14, were South Carolina uh, 3A state champions. Pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, man, that was a lot of fun. We had a really <laughs> good time. All those – yeah, all three years were a blast. Coach Hallett, uh, he's a great man. I still stay in contact with him. So, he's done a great job over there with AC Flora. Yeah, definitely, definitely a South Carolina high school baseball coaching legend for sure. Uh, I, I want to talk about again. You talked about the the relationship with Holbrook, and when you sat down with him, what was that relationship like? Um, I guess what clicked for you guys, and while you were at South Carolina, how did that relationship evolve between you two? Um, it was pretty good at first. Um, you know, coming in as a freshman, I was expecting to play, and I didn't play as much as I wanted to, mm-hmm. and I knew that was up to me, anyways. But, um, you know, those three years with Coach Holbrook, we did we did build a good relationship. And, you know, we did have a um, few tuffles here and there. But I think that's because of my stubbornness and wanting to play shortstop. Coming in as a freshman, wanting to play shortstop. And then sophomore year, wanting to play shortstop. And, um, no, we, yeah, we had a good relationship. We still do. Um, and then Coach Kingston came in. So, um. No, I had a good time with Coach Holbrook, all those guys. We, um, I think we built pretty good relationships with them. So. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, Madison, your career is so interesting because you're one of those guys that you really saw a little bit of everything while you were at South Carolina. I mean, you saw yeah. the highest of highs going to the Super Regionals twice. You saw the lowest of lows missing the postseason. You saw the highest of highs with yourself personally. You saw a coaching change. I mean, it's you really got, got to see it all during your college career. But I want to stick with your freshman season. I know, obviously – uh, 15 things did not go the way you guys wanted as a team. But I just want to ask for you, uh, that year, like you said, you played in 25 games at 207, had nine ribbies. But just talk about how you feel that your game transitioned from high school to SEC baseball. Was it what you expected? Was it tougher than you expected? What was the transition like for you personally? Um, I would say it started just in high school because, like, I knew I was going to start every game, and that gave me confidence. And I played well. Um, I was aware of the talent. Then going into SEC, it was like, wow, like this is for sure completely different. I think it's the best league in baseball, college mm-hmm. baseball. And that was an eye-opener. And then just seeing how good the guys were at South Carolina. Like, I'm not, you know, one of the better players on the team anymore. So I'm going to have to work it and earn it and, you know, earn a position and make my way into the lineup every day. And once that wasn't happening, I'm like, all right, this is – and that probably honestly um, – took away a lot of confidence mm-hmm. and why I hit, you know, 207 with nine RBIs and didn't get to play as much. So I kind of beat myself up a lot about that um, as that was happening. And then I think sophomore year had a better feel of it, but then that's when the injuries started happening. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, man, SEC baseball, it was kind of a slap in the face, but it was also cool to see like, this is how good these players are. And that made me, that made me want to, you know, compete with them, compete with the best. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like for you, it was definitely a, as much of a mental grind as far as like a physical uh, test or anything, just the, the mental side of the, you know, the everyday grind, obviously, of SEC baseball taking its toll on you a little bit. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, the amount of games and then, like, the weight room and stuff, all that was fine. The conditioning was fine. I've always been fine with that stuff. But it was just the mental side of baseball that I haven't really experienced yet. For sure. So, I know that 16th uh, season, obviously, went much better for you guys as a team, made the Super Regionals. I talked to a couple of your former teammates that say that's probably the most fun year of baseball they've ever had as far as that that team is concerned. I think it was – I think it was Jonah Bride put up the video that uh, NCAA tweeted out like four years ago when you guys got the oh, final yeah. out against Wilmington and came back in yeah. that regional and went on to the Supers and everything. It was it was a great year, obviously. But for you, like you said, you dealt with an injury. And I want to ask you because it, it was called the, a Jones fracture in your foot. What in the world is a Jones fracture? Because I've never heard of that in my entire life. Yeah, man. it was uh, It's a fracture in your fifth metatarsal. And I was in an inter-squad game, I think in the – well, actually it was in the fall, the spring, early spring. And going for a ball to my left, playing third base, and it took a weird hop, bounced back to my right. And so when I went to switch directions, it just – I was maybe it was the brand-new cleats that I had and the spikes, but it just cracked. And um, I didn't know it was broken right away. I could kind of walk on it and then – the inning was over and I had to limp off the field. And I'm like, freak, man, this is actually hurting. So, yeah, broke that fifth metatarsal in the foot. So they had to go in and put a screw in it. And then I was out for six to eight weeks, I believe. Really? How, how, yeah. much, how much did it still bother you? Because, again, you played in – like you said, you played in 31 games, hit 304. I mean, pretty good season. Um, yeah. How much did it bother you when you got back? Um, it was sore. A little bit, you know, I had to get used to wearing cleats again. I did all the rehab and whatnot, which it strengthened me and stuff. So, Brainerd for sure helped me out a lot. Helped me out a lot there. Mm -hmm. But I think it was just getting comfortable doing those movements again and trusting it. Uh, I was kind of afraid to go um, do those lateral movements and just not sure if it was going to be weakened or if that screw was going to move around or anything. So I was kind of conscious about that. But no, it was a fine transition. It really made me grow personally and. You know, it made me want to get out there faster than ever. So just, you know, that helped me out as far as wanting to get back out in the field and, and compete with the, my teammates. So, For sure. So I, I want to switch gears a little bit, Madison, ask you obviously about the, the Carolina-Clemson rivalry. You're a guy that's local, obviously played in it. Um, you talked about Clemson was recruiting you as well, and it kind of came down to the wire. Just talk about being a player in that rivalry, what that, what that experience uh, and what those battles were like for you. Oh, man, it was – honestly, Chris, like I never grew up a big Carolina fan because I lived mm -hmm. in – I grew up in Sherrall and wasn't around big colleges and didn't watch a lot of television. So I wasn't like aware of everything in college going on. And mm. um, so I didn't know like a lot of past history with Carolina and Clemson, obviously under the rivalry. But it was – every time I got – I went there and you know, like the week leading up to it, I had the goosies like every day. Like I was sitting in class <laughs> watching videos, which I probably shouldn't be saying that, but just watching baseball videos, just listening to music, just getting fired up. Like that's not a thing that you get ready the day of. It's a two-week thing where you're just mentally preparing for it. So that was always a blast. The fans, both sides, um, riding in the bus, just getting mentally prepared with your, your teammates. And just every every hour leading up to that game for like a week was just – just gooseys the whole time. So, and then, you know, obviously when you're competing, you got the gooseys, no matter how many games of baseball you've played or no many, how many, how many fans you've played in front of, and you're, you're still going to get them. So it's, 
I don't know. That just I think that comes from just the love of the game and the rivalry itself. Now, on game day, were you more of the serious kind of stoic guy, or were you kind of the uh, the loose, keep everybody else in the locker room loose? Like, what 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 was your, your what was your demeanor on game day? I guess. Yeah, I think it changed. Like sophomore year, I kind of grew like a certain mentality because I was injured and I wasn't playing, and I was seeing my my buddies play, and it kind of pissed me off. Not out of right. jealousy, but just wanting to be out there. Mm-hmm. And so, like sophomore year, I probably would say a little more serious. I tried to get serious just because I wanted to mentally prepare for the games, and then junior year too, because I knew that was my draft year. And so right. I put a lot of pressure on myself by doing that, and that showed. Like obviously, my junior year numbers weren't nearly as good as what I was wanting. And mm. that came from me just putting pressure on myself. And then just my buddies in the locker room, I can list off a bunch of names that, that helped me with that and uh, helped me realize, like, all right, dude, you're kind of doing this to yourself. And they picked me up in senior year. It obviously helped. So senior year is when that transition happened of me being more laid back and mm. cutting up and, you know, just being all loosey-goosey. So. It's it's funny how the game seems to get simpler when, when we do that. <laughs> Just simplify and make it easy on yourself. I, I, I want to talk about – definitely talk about that junior year because 17 was – man, it was such an interesting season. I mean, I know especially for you guys but from the fan perspective because I remember that season, you know, that was, that was being talked about as arguably the best South Carolina starting rotation ever. Sure. I mean, you remember yeah. Clark Schmidt, Will Crow, Adam Hill. And when you think of those names and where they are now, I mean, those are three guys that all might <laughs> pitch in the big leagues. Clark Schmidt's probably going to be, if we ever get baseball back, obviously. I think he was definitely slated to crack the Yankees rotation. Will Crow's getting really close. I mean, yeah. you think of those arms. Preseason, I think you guys are preseason fourth in the country by D1 mm-hmm. baseball. And then obviously that 17 season, so many injuries. And it felt like every single weekend series – Came down to game three. You lose your closer, Tyler Johnson. It's just like injury after injury after injury. It just wasn't you guys' year. Um, yeah. I know for you personally, you played a lot more. You know, started 47 games. Um, the average wasn't there. I mean, hit 224, but three homers, 17 RBIs. But just just talk about that season of baseball because, I mean, I, I know it's – you know, you talk about already the mental grind of playing in the SEC and what you're fa- – you know, you're facing a bona fide stud every single Friday and most Saturdays as well. And then you have your Sunday guys. But – just talk about that season of baseball. I know that had to be really, really tough on you guys, especially, like you said, in your draft year as well. Right. Yeah, man, it was – well, first off, yeah, that talent was unbelievable. They yeah. still are unbelievable. And um, they were fun to be around, a good group to be around and, and play with. I don't know exactly – like, I can't give you a definite answer of what happened and why we didn't have that much success. Um, but <sighs> – I really don't know. Um, I think that you're honestly, from personally, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And then maybe we all put pressure on ourselves. And I don't want to say that's the reason why. But, you know, we had so much talent going on, probably a lot of hype. Mm. And we probably let it get to us. Um, and then Coach Holbrook left that next, well, I guess the end of that year. I don't yeah, know exactly summer. when he left, but it was, yeah, that summer. So, and we were hearing stuff like, you know, rumors of stuff like that going on. So I don't know if we just let that kind of creep into the locker room and not break us apart, but not really allow that to, you know, grow us together and and let us be stronger and play together. So I don't really know exactly what happened, but yeah, man, it was still a fun year. We had some great road trips, uh, some great memories with those players and whatnot. And I still have great relationships with every single one of those players. So um, yeah, man, I, I don't know. 
Did you ever get to face uh, – I'm sure you did – face Clark and Will and those guys in, like, scrimmages and everything? Oh, yeah. Yep. You, you, see, you see what Clark's doing now, and it's – I mean, his stuff is just unbelievable. I mean, it's – it's he's going to be in the big leagues sooner rather than later. I think there's no question. Right. Yeah, I've always known Clark. I can, I've always seen Clark. I've been pretty close to Clark uh, since we came in freshman year. Right. But just seeing his work ethic, the way he carries himself, he's just like, yeah, that kid's going to be a big leaguer. I mean, he honestly came in as a freshman looking like a squid. Like he was. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh, man, he just worked his tail off to get to where he is now. And people might not see that, but you go in the weight room and watch him work out and just the way he handles himself. And people might think that he's a prick just because of the way he carries himself, but he just knows how good he is. And he's got all the confidence in the world. And he's helped me out tremendously, you know, with confidence and work ethic. And be honest, I think we bounce off of each other pretty well, our personality. So, yeah, I um, hope the best for Clark. Um, Will Crow. I don't talk to him as much. I'll stay in contact with him a little bit, but yeah, man, same with him. I've always just seen him as a future big leaguer. Um, all those guys, Tyler Johnson. So mm -hmm. just great, great people. Um, great people to be around, great people to learn from. I've learned so much from those guys just working out, being around them in the locker room, living with Clark my junior year. So yeah, man, I, um, I'm really glad to have a relationship with those guys still. So, yeah, I was gonna say I used to refer to Clark as as the bulldog of the pitching staff. Yeah. You gotta have you gotta have that prick mentality. You gotta you know be be the guy that's gonna right. go out there and shove the ball up the other team's ass. That's just how you have to think. Like that's just I mean, yeah. you can see it on his face when he pitches. It's it's funny. Oh like, yeah, he's that guy yeah. for sure. He's a dog out there, man. I am one for <laughs> two off of him. I'm never gonna let <laughs> that down. So there you go. Yeah, uh, he hung a slider and I. Peeked it over the second baseman's head, but he's never going to let me live that down. Then I think he struck me out, so we're even. There you go. And not bad. You'll take 500. That's not bad at all. Yes, uh, I, I want to ask you about the whole Chad Holbrook situation because, again, he's your head coach for three of your four years. And, you know, a lot of like, – I think Chad Holbrook was put in a really tough situation. You, you don't want to be the guy to follow up the legend. You know, that, that's, that's yeah. every sport. That's every coach. And, obviously, he was following up Ray Tanner and – you know, I, I certainly think, you know, the expectations were, you know, you guys knew what they were. I mean, they were they were crazy at times. You know, you know, people – I'm sure you, you saw it and heard it from Mark Kingston's first year. I mean, there were fans ready to say get rid of Kingston after he didn't make Omaha's first year. And it's like, dude, you just do yeah. not understand, you know, yeah. how tough it is. And, you know, he obviously had to deal with that. But, you know, I, I know, you know, when he stepped down and everything, when you found out, what was your reaction? I mean, were you surprised? I know you said you guys kind of heard rumblings of it, but – what was yeah. the overall reaction when that happened? We were somewhat surprised. Like, like I said, we did hear a little bit of, like, it might happen. Mm -hmm. And I think with that, that talk going on, we kind of assumed that it was going to happen. Um, but we didn't want to make any rumors. We didn't want to spread right, any right. rumors and say, hey, yeah, coach is going to leave or bring it up to him. But I couldn't imagine, like, what he had to go through or what it takes to be a head coach, especially at South Carolina, mm -hmm. and especially after Coach Tanner. So, I don't, I, I don't understand – and I couldn't understand what Coach Holbrook had to go through and, you know, dealing with everyone. And I don't want to put the blame on him. I don't want to put the blame on the fans. Right. And I don't want to sit here and bad talk anyone. But I just couldn't imagine the pressure that he had, um, you know, coming in as a head coach. And then I guess he was there for four years, five years. Yeah, five years. Yep. Because he got there, years, th started yeah. 13. Yeah. 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 I mean, he had some success. He had great oh, yeah. teams, great players. 
And I think some people just usually don't credit us and him that success or just, you know, South Carolina right. in general, that success if we don't make it to the top and, you know, go big. So it is tough. Um, there are super high expectations for him, super high expectations for us, especially as a university and as that, you know, as a baseball team. So I don't know. I mean, I don't understand. We, we don't see what goes on, you know, in the front office and right. what he all has to deal with just outside of baseball all we see is what coach Holbrook is just structuring a practice you know what I mean so I'm sure there was a lot else or a lot of other stuff going on outside of baseball that he had to deal with and I just couldn't imagine the pressure and stress that it put on him for sure so you know obviously the coaching search begins and Mark Kingston eventually obviously is named the head coach did you know anything about him when he got the job I I know he was sort of an unknown guy to fans as well coming from South Florida I mean there wasn't you know, obviously had been an assistant on some really good teams. He had done really good with that South Florida program. But, you know, I, I think fans didn't really know much about him either. Did, did you know anything about him as a coach? Or had you had any interactions with him before by chance? Or No, I didn't know anything about him. I mean, I looked him up on Google. And yeah, they were pretty much what everybody coach. else did. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But no, I didn't know anything about him as a coach or as a person until he came in. And then actually Jonah and I – we found out that he was doing some kind of press conference. I think it was his first big press conference at the football mm-hmm. stadium. And uh, John was like, hey, man, let's go over there and um, meet him and make him feel welcome. And that's what we did. So that's when I first had, or had my first encounter with him and his family. How, how quickly, I guess, you know, did he win over the team, I guess, if you – I mean, I'm sure it's something where you guys bought in immediately. But – because he, he's – I mean, Kingston's a, a baseball guy. You listen to him talk. He, he's, he's a baseball dude. But what were – I guess what were those first interactions like in that first big team meeting? Obviously, when you guys get back in the fall and everything, like what was the the overall reception to Kingston? Yeah, I think he is um, he's very strong minded, and when he came in, he he made a statement. I think he he really told us like, all right, this is this is how it's going to happen, and we trusted him with that, and we knew that we needed something to pick us up, especially after Coach Holbrook left, and that was going to be tough. So we had to mentally prepare for that and also we'd had a buy-in because we understood like um, especially seniors like this is our last go around and the new coach mm-hmm. coming in so we're gonna have to buckle down and and trust this guy and he came in and you know he set us straight and he's a he's an honest coach he's gonna tell you how it is and he's gonna push you and he's gonna work as hard and I, I think that's exactly what we needed um so I don't remember exactly what was obviously said in that first meeting, but I just remember, you know, him coming in super structured, super organized. And it just, what he offered um, allowed us to trust him completely coming in as a new head coach. So I think that helped for sure. So I want to ask Madison, because I feel like you're always the example that I use as far as like the impact that Kingston had. Cause I, I really thought the biggest thing we would see with Kingston just like I said, from the outsider perspective, was Kingston's a very analytical guy, and I thought you would see a mindset change. I, I really thought as far as hitting, you would definitely see a philosophical change in the box, if you will. And, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you were obviously healthy, and you are a senior, and you had all those at-bats in your belt, but what, what happened for you? Because, again, you're always the example I use of it clicking, and it clicking in your final year. I mean, you hit 322, 11 homers, 44 RBIs, you you by far have the best year in Garnet and Black, the best year of your Gamecock career. 
Was mm-hmm. it something specifically that Kingston did or said when he got there? Was it just you, like I said, being a senior and you have that experience and you're finally healthy? And I mean, just what was it? Was it a combination of a bunch of things? What, what led you to that breakout senior year? Yeah, I always say it's because I didn't get drafted my junior year, but it is a combination of a lot. He helped me out tremendously. Coach Couch, Coach Lake, um, Coach Kern, all those guys, they all contributed um, to my success that year. And I I really do think it was – I was expecting to get drafted, and that didn't happen, and that kind of just tore me apart. Mm-hmm. And it just – it changed me, really. Like, it changed my personality. It changed the way I carried myself. And at first, I didn't know how to handle it until a couple of my teammates were like, hey, dude, like, you know, me and a couple of teammates got into it one time. And, mm-hmm. well, I say a couple of teammates, me and one teammate got into it. And um, I'm like, dude, this is not me. Like, I am reacting to him in, in a way that I've never reacted before. And it's just – I had so much anger inside of me and mm-hmm. just, you know, from not getting drafted and expecting to. And that really just lit a fire inside of me. And I – eventually learned how to control it and use that for my advantage. Um, I worked even harder, which I didn't think was possible. Um, worked with a bunch of guys. Carlos helped me out tremendously. Um, just a lot of discipline that whole year. Um, harder work in the weight room. Like everything just clicked. And I think I had the right mindset going into it. And there was no pressure at all. And I th- basically just went out in the field. Every game is like, all right, I mean, like, screw. I don't, this doesn't come off in the wrong way. This is just my mindset when I go out there to take off the pressure. But, like, screw mm-hmm. everybody. And, like, especially the – obviously the opposing team. Like, we're going to go out here and whoop up on you. And I don't care what happens. I don't care what scouts are in the stands. I don't care if they try to contact me. I'm not going to go out there and try to impress them. I'm just going to go out there and ball out. And I think that's what I did. And it all, you know, like I said, Coach Kingston, everybody contributed in some way, my teammates, my family. Um, and I think that's what led me to a success or a successful enough to get drafted. So there was a lot that went into it. Mm. No, for sure. I, I want to dive into that. So before we do, I want to backtrack a little bit because, like I said, you played on two teams that went to the Super Regionals 2016 and 2018, and both. I think both experiences were probably a lot different. Um, number one, just being your role in the team and how much you were playing, stuff like that. And then 16, obviously, right. you didn't the injury. But I want to talk about 16 first because you're a young guy on that team, a lot of talent on that team, obviously. But the way it happened, again, was a lot different. You guys were hosting versus having to go on the road. You lose early on. You have to come back in your own regional. You get the W over UNC Wilmington to advance and obviously you guys take on a really really tough Oklahoma State team but you played a super regional at home as well just talk about that one we'll talk about that one first being a young dude like I said maybe maybe a little bit more of a role player I don't want to you know insult you obviously but you know not kind of a just a different role in the team but seeing your teammates and seeing yourself really come back from the early deficit like I said a lot different of a journey than 2018 where you guys just stormed through the regional um, I guess what that was like and how cool is, how cool that was, again, to do it at home in front of your home fans to be able to come back and, you know, get to the Supers. Yeah, man. I think the whole environment, the whole <clears throat> hype around being in a Supers, you know, sitting there in the locker room, watching on TV, seeing which one you're going to be in, seeing, seeing if you're going to host, all that stuff's super cool. And I think 
the further you go in a season with a collegiate team, the closer it brings you guys together. Mm-hmm. Because it's like not a lot of people get to do to do this. Not a lot of people get in the be in the position, uh, like as a baseball team that we are in right now. So just yeah, that that was fun. And then obviously when the super started, um, seeing all the fans, the hype around everything, um, that was a blast. And like you said, I pretty much was a role player, and it sucked. And I know this might come off as kind of douchey, but, like, I didn't like it. And I didn't like not playing, which makes it not as fun because I don't want to sit there and watch a baseball game. I really don't even like watching that much baseball. I'd rather be on there in the middle of the action feeling like I'm contributing. And that's just me and my personality. Like, I want to be out there grinding it out with my boys. I hate being in the dugout. (laughs) So I might come off as – a little arrogant, but that's just my my mentality. Wanting to get out there and and show you what I can do. And obviously, sophomore year, I had the opportunity. I just didn't succeed. But um, I think that was what was different for me from that super and my senior year super, because mm-hmm. um, I was able to contribute a lot more. And I don't know. Just personally, I feel like I can't do that much in a dugout and just watching my team besides cheer them on which I understand that whole aspect of it. But, like, when I'm on the field grinding it out, you know, and being able to score a run or make a play for the pitcher, and it just – all that stuff, you can take it all in, fans cheering. It's just fun. It's mm. just baseball that I really enjoy. And so, yeah, man. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, you know, I don't know if arrogance is the right. I think it's just being a competitor for sure, and that's obviously yeah. what you are. Now, like you said, your senior year, you were the dude. You were the guy. Um you know, you were a huge part of that run in the postseason that uh, I think, let me see, you, yeah, you drove in three runs in the championship game over UNCW, which ironically you guys were taking on UNCW again. Um, mm-hmm. You drove in three runs in the Greenville Regional Championship game. Um, you also had a home run against Arkansas in the Super Regional. So just talk about kind of, I guess, contrasting, obviously a lot different, but you guys go to ECU, which I know talking from your former teammates, you guys had a major chip on your shoulder that you weren't hosting and you had to travel and you know, I heard the story a ton of times with the reason, you know, you guys not dogpiling after, which was the ultimate badass move, just saying mm-hmm. hey, we kind of expected this. You know, this is – we're on to bigger and better things. And then going to Fayetteville, um, just mm-hmm. talk about that road trip because we all know it's one of the most – the toughest places to play in the SEC. Their fans are insane. Um, just talk about that run, I guess, how much different it was from 16. And you're being, you know, you're really, you know, one of the leaders, one of the main leaders on the team. Again, you're a senior, you're a main contributor. Um, and I guess just the difference in experiences from 16 to that, that 18 year. Yeah, man. ECU was a blast. And like you said, we did have that chip on our shoulder um, going in there, facing some good teams. And we knew ECU yeah. hosting. They also have a really tough crowd. Like, I didn't even know it. And I don't think a lot of people do know it, but that that crowd is rowdy. And I mean, they obviously don't have 8,000 fans like we do, but goodness gracious, they have <laughs> however many they have, and it is loud and rowdy. So, um, yeah, man, we came in there, played some good baseball. I think my hamstring was still bothering me, so I pulled my hamstring, I think, against Georgia. Mm-hmm. And that just kept aggravating me my senior year. Um, so I think it was aggravated me or it aggravated me throughout the supers or the regional. And, um, so I wasn't playing a much defense, but coach Kingston, um, he kept me in the lineup to hit, which was nice. So, um, <laughs> that whole run was fun being able to contribute and swing the bat still. And 
I think we played ECU that last game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, man, we had that chip on our shoulder, went in there, balled out. And then when we found out we had to go to Arkansas, <laughs> it was like, oh, all right, let's go. It's going to be tough. We knew it was. We had the chance to travel there that year. And I think, Chris, they were like 32-1 and one or 34 mm-hmm. and some something crazy, like 34-2 and two at home that whole season. Mm-hmm. And I think we were one of those wins. And um, <laughs> we – we knew that going in there, and um, yeah, we went there, and I guess we went one and two there, or yeah, we won one and lost that last one. But that was a tough loss. But uh, it was a—I thought we had a pretty successful season. Um, obviously, you get that close, that far, and that close to the Omaha, that it sucks. Like it's—it's it's almost like I'd rather not even make it um, <laughs> than losing the freaking supers at the last game. So, cause you get that so close, you know, four years of college baseball and your last game is the supers. Right. So, um, no, it was, it was a great regional man or supers. It was fun, man. The whole run was a blast. The whole year was a blast. So, yeah, I was going to say that that Arkansas team, I mean, arguably probably should have won the national championship. So it, it was not a – you guys did not get the most favorable draw in the world. Like like <laughs> you said, I know you guys went to Fayetteville earlier that season, actually played them really tough at their place. Yep. Played them really tough at their place, if I remember yep. correctly. So We did, man. That was now, fun. Obviously, while all this is going on, you have the MLB draft happening, which I think is – I think they're changing it now, but it's so silly how they have the draft when guys are playing games and it practices. And it just – it just that seemed very backwards. I think they're doing something to change that now. But anyways, while this is all going on, kind of in the midst of it, you're taking in the 10th round of the draft by the Phillies. Just just talk about what it was like to to get that phone call again, almost sort of a revenge tour for you in 2018 after – you know, you, you had that – again, you had that chip on your shoulder. You didn't get drafted in 17 when you really feel like, you know, you probably should have or whatever. But just talk about getting that call, the satisfaction of, again, I mean, being a senior, getting drafted in the 10th round is, is is pretty damn good. But, uh, you know, obviously you realize a dream to play professional baseball. What was that like? Yeah, so playing professional baseball or in the big leagues has always been my dream. Like, that's always – that's – the only place I've ever wanted to go and get to. And so um, I knew in the back of my mind it was going to happen, but, you know, that's something that I had to trust God with and just be humble with everything. And so I finally got the phone call, dealt with a couple scouts, um, some money stuff, which obviously I knew that as a senior, I'm not going to get nothing at all, which sucks, but, you know, that's just just how it is. And so um, talked to a couple scouts, um, throw some numbers around, and – I didn't even – I've never even met the Philly scout. Didn't even mm-hmm. talk to him, never seen him. And uh, he called, and that's when he he mentioned that I was getting drafted or that they just drafted me. And so I was with my girlfriend in Columbia just sitting on the couch waiting and then had to throw my phone down because I was just scrolling through, refreshing Twitter the whole time. <laughs> just stressing myself out even more. Right. And just because I went through that the year before, and it was terrible. Like, it mm-hmm. – like I told you, I was expecting to get drafted, and I was on my phone the whole time. And I was seeing buddies get drafted, and it was just – I'm like – I even joked with my buddy and said, dude, imagine if we didn't get drafted. And then I ended up not getting drafted. <laughs> I was so pissed. And then <laughs> so just senior year, man, I just – I didn't want to experience that again. And so it was kind of stressful, but, you know, I did a lot of praying. Um, being around my girlfriend, family, and friends, that helped out a lot, kind of keeping me comfortable and 
and confident. So got the phone call and that was all, it was all fun, man. I, I enjoyed it. I was just ready to get and finish the year at South Carolina and then get started up um, for the Phillies. So. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about your your minor league experience thus far. I know you've bounced around from single A, low A, high A, rookie ball, and your last year, uh, last year I guess what a Clearwater high A. You played in 110 games, had a, had a pretty good season, I would say. I mean, hit 242, but 10 homers, 42 RBIs. I mean, a pretty good year overall. But just, I guess, talk about the minor league experience for you thus far. Kind of similar to the question I asked about you know, getting to South Carolina, what have been the biggest adjustments? I mean, is it kind of what you, you know, what you expected? Again, I know playing in the SEC, playing at the highest level you can in college, definitely, I'm sure, prepared you for that. But what's, uh, you know, what's the minor league experience been like for Madison Stokes? Yeah, man, I could honestly sit here and talk to you about that for six more hours, but <laughs> to kind of shorten it all up, like I said before, it, it was, you know, big leagues or getting to the big leagues has always been my number one goal. And so I kind of did a lot of research and talked to a bunch of guys. And so I had a good idea of what the minors were like. And I mean, I've, I've known some guys that have, have struggled with the transition from college baseball, the fans, all the stuff you get, all the you know recognition, social media stuff, TV time, and then going to minors and maybe a couple hundred hot middle of the day playing every day. Um, the whole transition is tough, but I, I was, I knew that was the case and I just had to suck it up and embrace it. And so um, that transition for me was fine. The whole fans was fine. Um, we're not having that many fans playing the heat's fine. It sucks, but I just, I know it. That's <laughs> it what, is what it, it is. You have to, yes, that is what it is. You have to go through it to get to the top. And so, I mean, also I'm not the first player that's had to go through it. So, um, no, man, it's been, it's been a blast. It's, I can't wait to get, get to the top. And I've met a bunch of great people. I've met a, a bunch of great coaches and built a lot of great relationships and learned a lot too. And I think mostly I've learned a lot about myself through minors, you know, being on your own, away from family, away from your girlfriend, um, only being able to chat on the phone. And mm -hmm. so it, uh, <laughs> it makes you grow up real quick. And um, it's a grind, as everyone says. I would say that. If you ask me how the minors are, I'm going to tell you that it sucks because it does suck, and I don't like playing the minors, and that's why I want to get to the top so bad because everything's better up there, and I'm aware of that. And that's just, like I said, that's my mentality again, and I just, I'm ready to get out of there and, and start playing some big league baseball, and um, I'm super appreciative of everyone that's helped me get this far, um, coaches, family, girlfriend, you know, you know, the whole nine yards. So it's been great, man. I'm excited to get back and play. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, we're all dealing with the <clears throat> the pandemic and stuff like that, and we're all I'm, – I'm hoping and praying that MLB is going to get back, and obviously you guys get back, and just baseball gets back in general. But, you know, just kind of let everybody know what – you know, I, we talked about a little bit off air, just kind of what you're doing right now. I know a lot of minor league guys are working in the off season, but what you're doing to stay sharp, and wh where do you feel like your game is at right now? Because, like I said, I thought you had a pretty good year last year, but, you know, where you feel like your overall game is, where your swing is, where you are as a hitter – um because i know that's <clears throat> that's a big thing you know you get to that level as far as just maturing as a baseball player and maturing as a hitter and knowing your strengths knowing your weaknesses knowing what you have to work on um how do you feel about your overall game right now would you say no well, i feel great man i mean obviously i haven't had the opportunity to face any live pitching mm -hmm. 
uh, which is okay. But I can hit off the tee. I can hit the cage a little bit with my brother, doing some defensive stuff. Um, but right now, yeah, just training, working out every day, doing as much as I can um, to stay ready. And I honestly, I feel game ready. It, it obviously takes a couple of days to get back into the swing of things and, and seeing some live pitching. But, no, I feel super confident in my game and my abilities right now. I feel strong and, and ready to go, man. So, Gun to head, would you say, or, you know, if you're put on the spot, would you say that there will be baseball this, this season? I mean, I know that's really out of your control, but, I mean, what's your gut feeling as far as whether or not there will be baseball played this season? Um, I want to say yes because I want it to happen, but no. Right, right. And they've come up with freaking proposals every week, and it just – I'm tired of looking at social media and seeing, yeah, there's another proposal – denied offer here denied and so i'm like screw this man and so it's also tough like mentally chris like how prepared do we need to be because right you know it all happened in march and we've had to stay somewhat game ready since february because we've been we've been training since september and then i went to south america played some winter ball and then come back train for um spring training and then the Middle of March, I played two games versus the Yankees. And so I'm just now feeling game ready. And then this happens. And I come back home. And you don't expect to be home this long. And so it's like we've been trying to stay game ready for so long. And it's kind of getting mentally draining because you don't know when it's going to happen. And you don't really see anything paying off. And I think that's what's going to separate a lot of guys this year if it happens or next year. But it's tough, man, just because you don't know how to how prepared you need to be. So, no, for sure. It's, it's, it's crazy times. It's like you said, there's a different proposal every week. And, you know, we're obviously seeing a lot of the guys on, on social media from, you know, even Whit Merrifield speaking out, but uh, Clevenger and Bauer and they're all going off on the owners and stuff like that. And it's just, it's, it's honestly been crazy to watch it unfold. Um, I, I appreciate it, your time, Madison. I'm going to get you out of here, but last thing, last question and a fun question for you and something that I saw on social media last week, that uh, has been something funny everybody's been talking about. But the best heckle you've ever heard, because obviously you played in a ton of SEC stadiums, you played in a ton of minor league parks. What's the has, has there been a heckle, a memorable heckle directed towards you, or we'll say one of your teammates as well, that you can vividly remember? Best one you ever heard? I really don't remember because I never got heckled that much, especially <laughs> like being on shortstop. But, um, oh, gosh, man. I, no, I don't know any – Great heckles. Um, yeah, I can't give you a good heckle. I will tell you a good story of my buddy being in left field at Mississippi State, though. Um, you know how they – well, at the old stadium, they used to mm-hmm. all grill out, have all their tents and stuff, grills, smoking. Right. I mean, you used to smoke the whole game. Food smelling good. I'm playing you know, <clears throat> defense, and you can smell the food from the freaking dugout or on the field. And that's all you can think about. Like, dude, this food smells so good. And anyways, he went back out, went back out in the field, Clark Scalamero, and um, they caught him over there. Hey, Clark, they they do heckle there pretty bad. But I don't hear it because I'm on second base, shortstop, whatever, third base, and all those fans are in the outfield. And they caught him over there. And he didn't want to go, obviously, because it looks bad. But um, they're like, hey, man, we got some barbecue for you. So they gave him – I think it was a rib – like maybe two strips of ribs and wrapped it up in a napkin and he put it in his pocket and ate it in the dugout. <laughs> so 
Hey, that was yeah. probably one of the – that's did like the first fan memory that I can think of. Did, did he say how it tasted? Did, I, I, oh I'd imagine it's probably pretty good. Dude, it was unbelievable because <laughs> supposedly they invited our parents over there and they were all cooking out, grilling. And then after the game, my parents brought some food over to us. So they were they, super nice, man. But I thought that was absolutely hilarious. They don't mess around with the barbecue at Mississippi. They 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 don't mess around with the tailgate. They they know how to no, do sir. it. They know how they to do, do it right for sure. They get down and dirty for yeah. sure. No question. Well, Madison, I, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Like I said, you know, it was a pleasure to watch you in Garnet and Black, and obviously. Best of luck with your your career. We're all hoping baseball gets back, but uh, we'll definitely, obviously, be keeping up with you and uh, you know expect to see you expect to see Stokes on the back of a big league jersey sometime soon, my friend. But no, I really do appreciate yes, the time, man, and would would love to do it again sometime soon. Uh, for sure, Chris. I appreciate it, man, and good talking to you. Absolutely. So for Madison Stokes, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.